This podcast is presented to you by the Young Adults Ministry of Faith Chapel San Diego. To find out more, please visit faithchapelsd.com. We've been talking about this idea of beloved identity for quite some time now. And whenever we talk about David, remember, when we're talking about David, we're talking about beloved identity. David's name means beloved. Everyone say beloved. Beloved, right. David's name means beloved. And uh, so remember where we left off last week, David had fled to Ramah at Naoth. And remember, he had went and gotten connected to a prophetic spiritual father. Remember who was there at, at, at Naoth and Ramah? Remember, it was Samuel, the prophet. Remember, he was supposed to be, he's getting connected to, to Saul, but th- Saul's throwing spears at him, trying to kill him, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And then he goes and gets connected to a spiritual father, a, 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 a prophetic spiritual father at that, and his name is Samuel the prophet. And so remember, Saul's like, go get David, go get him. So he goes over there and he's trying to get David. And remember, he sends three different waves of troops to go and try to arrest him. And every single time when they come under that atmosphere, they literally fall under this prophetic anointing that's there and they fall on the ground prophesying. And so Saul's frustrated. And he's like, what's the deal? I'll go get him. He goes to get him. And then when he goes there, he literally gets so overcome by this prophetic anointing that's on him that he, he literally falls down naked on the the ground prophesying. Is this going to keep popping or should I switch it up? Switch it up. What do we got? Give me a mic here. Here's a mic. Let me switch this up. Uh, I got a green mic. Green mic. Check, check, check. Game on. We're good. Forget that thing. Okay. We're back in action. So he goes and he literally falls under this anointing that's right there. And when he's in this anointing, he starts prophesying. So it was just showing how Samuel was the dominant spiritual force in the neighborhood. That King Saul, though he was a king, he was not the guy in charge of what was going on. It was Samuel who was showing this. And I believe, again, that was God flexing his muscle. What we learned was when beloved identity stays connected to a true spiritual father, kingdom influence infiltrates the entire region. Because literally that whole region was becoming influenced by the anointing that rested upon Samuel's life. And now David and beloved identity getting connected to Samuel. So check this out. Track with me a little bit. In the next chapter, here's what happens. David is confident that Saul is trying to kill him. Like that much is clear. When someone's throwing spears at you constantly, you can kind of, you know, justify, I think they're trying to kill me. Like, I, I think that's what's happening here. So he, he begins this relationship with Jonathan, who is Saul's son. They have a strong relationship. And Jonathan doesn't believe that King Saul's trying to kill him. And David's like, it's true. Trust me, it's true. So a feast is thrown. Saul gets mad that David's not at the feast. And he asks his son, Jonathan, where's David? And he's like, oh, David had to go take care of this. Saul gets so livid mad, he grabs his spear and chucks it at Jonathan, who is his son. And he misses again. Now, I don't know what is up with Saul's aim, but he can't hit anybody with a spear. Because I don't know anybody else that's throwing more spears than Saul, and he's not hitting anybody. So maybe it's a good thing. So he starts chucking a spear at his own son trying to take him out. That's just crazy. See, here's what's going on. His, his, his lust to kill David, his lust to kill beloved identity, to attack what he doesn't have, what he doesn't understand, is driving him to not only lash out against David, beloved identity himself, but also against those that are in healthy relationship with David, like Jonathan, his own son. This is what's going on. So David's last chance here is to, is to get away. So he flees Israel and and. For threat of his life, he finds himself on a journey. And if you know anything about this journey, this is where 
David's at this point, he's about 20 years old. So like he's a young gun, okay? And so him as the young gun coming in is saying, all right, I need to get away from this guy because he's trying to kill me. And I need to get out of the land. And it wasn't because he was afraid of Saul. And we learned that more in the, in the text later. But even now, we've proven many different times, David who stands in confidence, David who is, could be a mighty man of war, David who slayed the giant, is not afraid of Saul in that capacity. But he honors Saul because of his position. Does that make sense? So he honors him. He's 20 years old. And he's about to, he's already been anointed the next king of Israel. But it hasn't happened yet. Remember Samuel the prophet came and anointed him. You're going to be the next guy. But it hasn't happened yet. So Saul's in charge, and Saul knows this. So Saul's got this suspicious poison coursing through his veins, and he's looking at David and saying, man, you're nothing but bad news. I'm going to take you out. And thus it sets David on this 10-year journey of ducking Saul. And so it sends David and some of his men on a 10-year journey. Let's jump into the text. So David went to the town of Nob to see Ahimelech the priest. Now Ahimelech trembled when he saw him. He said, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Now, there are several things that seem somewhat insignificant, but they're anything but insignificant about what's about to happen. Firstly, the place that they go to is this place called Nob. Nob is this place that is like the central focus place of worship for the nation. It's the, the word Nob means high place. It literally means this place where everybody would come and gather together to worship God. That's where Nob was, okay? So they're all gathered together, and Ahimelech is the main priest that's there. So it was uncommon for someone of such high stature like David is to be traveling alone into this place. So Ahimelech sees David coming in by himself, and he's like, whoa, what's, what's going on? Why are you traveling by yourself? Something is amiss. Verse 2. The king has sent me on a private matter, David said. He told me not to tell anyone why I am here. I have told my men where to meet me later. Question, is this true? No. He's lying. Just like we covered last week, remember when Mikal, she had to do some deceptive trickery kind of stuff, and she had to lie, telling him, oh, yeah, David's sick in bed. Don't worry about arresting David, and she had to lie. And it got her into some trouble, and when we, were, we had a discussion about why that was not okay. And I think that's what's going on here, too. It's, it's always easy to justify our sins. We're the best at justifying our sins, aren't we? Oh, my gosh. We're the best at justifying our sins. In order to get ourselves out of trouble, in order to get ourselves out of a difficult situation, we will justify doing wrong things as long as the wrong thing that we're doing is a little bit less wrong than what we could be doing, which could be major wrong. So we justify it. But here's the deal. People marked with beloved identity who should be walking in true integrity, they don't have to lie no matter how small it may seem. Now check this out. This lie that David gives to Ahimelech, it may seem pretty insignificant. He's basically just telling him, like, hey, yeah, the king sent me here on a mission. That's kind of why I'm by myself, you know. And he doesn't tell him the truth about what's really going on. A seemingly insignificant lie. Now, you wouldn't know this until you got a chapter or two later in the text, but because of David's little white lie, 85 priests die. 85 men of God ministering in the, in the, in the tabernacle are killed. And on top of that, King Saul turns a sword against the whole city of Nob, and the scripture is graphic in telling us that he kills men, women, children, nursing infants. All were put to death, and there was a repercussion that came because of this lie that David tells right here. Our actions never affect only ourselves. Our actions never affect only ourselves. 
even if it's done in the privacy of your bedroom, even if it's done where nobody else knows about it, there is always a ripple effect that goes out from how we live our life, especially when it comes to sin. I've personally seen the negative effects of how my sin has affected my family, has affected my kids, has affected my leadership team, has affected my friends, has affected my extended family and my church. I've seen how me as an influential person in the lives of people around me as a pastor have fallen into sin and made stupid mistakes and done stuff I should not have done it, how it negatively affected so many people, and it was not just something done in the secrets of my own little chamber. Both what we do that is right and what we do that is wrong has an incredible ripple effect on people all around us. Let me put it like this. When we use our great opportunities to make decisions that only benefit ourselves, we get ourselves into trouble. Evil takes over and spreads throughout the land, and kingdoms fall and regions are influenced negatively. When we take our eyes off of our selfish motives and we do what is right, putting others first, evil is overthrown, kingdoms rise, goodness is reestablished, and freedom to those in bondage takes place. Now, you may not have known this, but I just basically told you about Aladdin's plot. <laughs> I just described Aladdin's plot to each and every one of us in the house right now. <laughs> The bottom line was this. Aladdin was making all these poor decisions about himself, feeding himself, me, 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 my, my, my. Oh, I got to get the girl. I got to get all this. And the moment he's doing all that kind of stuff, evil starts rising up in the land. And now they had to overthrow all that kind of stuff. And eventually, when it's all said and done, he's able to actually set the genie free. I'm going all the way back. I, I, I think I'm excited that Aladdin's coming out again soon here. Same with Lion King. And I don't know. I'm just excited about it. So you get the point. You get the point. Let me get to this one. Secure ones in their beloved identity see others as well as themselves through his eyes. How you see yourself and how you see people around you change. It's different because you're marked with beloved identity. Everything you do is going to be seen through your own identity. When you know who you are, you get a different perspective on life. And you get a different perspective on God. You get a different perspective on a myriad of different things simply because of the way that you're living your life. There are major things that are big rocks thrown into the water, like major sin, major issues, major consequences to our actions. And when we make major mistakes sometimes, the ripple effect that goes out from those major decisions is far greater than some of the subtle rocks that could get thrown in the water from minor things. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sin is sin in the eyes of God. Absolutely. But can you understand how the ripple effect of a, a private oops makes little mistakes in over here and, 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 and what has happened uh, just recently in, in, where was it at? I'm drawing a blank on the place, that the, the church on Easter that was attacked. Was it Sri Lanka? Yeah, Sri Lanka. And there was this terrible, can you see how the repercussions of that sin and this sin is different? It's different than a, a boulder coming into the water and the ripple effect that comes from that and our own private issues. But the issue, the real problem is the big boulders usually stem from a realization that we actually had private issues that started off as small boulders or small pebbles getting thrown in the water that grew and grew and grew and grew. And because it wasn't handled, it eventually became something greater and greater. Can you feel me? That's what happens. That's exactly what happens. There is a ripple effect that takes place from how we live our life and the decisions that we make. This is why the nature of the gospel is to focus on others and take our eyes off of ourselves. This is the very heartbeat of the gospel. It is an others-focused understanding. 
It's that we would get our eyes off of our selfish nature, which is all about me, 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 my, 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 and put it so clearly on God that we would see others far better. This is how it works. It's treating others the way we want to be treated. It's loving others the way that Christ loved the church. It's all of these things that take all of the attention and all of the devotion and all of the aren't we amazing, rubbing our own shoulders and put it so clearly on God that we see others with his perspective. I hope somebody's with me tonight. If not, there's just a couple of us going for it. Let's go to verse 3. Now, what is there to eat? David asked him. He says, give me five loaves of bread or anything else that you have. The priest replies, I don't have any regular bread, but there is the holy bread, which you can have if your young men have not slept with any women recently. Don't worry, David replied. I never allow my men to be with women when, they're on a, when we're on a campaign. And since they stay clean, even on ordinary trips, how much more on this trip? Since there was no food available, the priest gave them the holy bread, the bread of the presence that was placed before the Lord in the tabernacle. It had just been replaced that day with fresh bread. So this is big. Check out what's happening here. One of the elements of the tabernacle was the table of showbread. Okay, so the table of showbread, it was placed in the tabernacle. Every Sabbath day, they would change it out. And they, and they were permitted to eat this bread, but it was only after it was changed out, and it was only done by the priests. So Aaron and his sons, the, the priesthood, they were the only ones that were allowed to eat this bread, okay? And it was this sacred, special bread. It, this wasn't like, you know, pan dulce from down the street. This wasn't your Sunday morning donut holes, okay? Like, this was like special, sacred, set-apart bread unto the Lord, okay? That's what this was. So this was significant. Now, they get this, and since the, the men were not ceremonially unclean, that was part of that whole thing about, you know, not having sex, making sure you guys are abstaining from, you know what I'm saying? And, and he's making sure that's in the clear because they couldn't be ceremonially unclean. It was part of this whole deal in remaining pure as the priests were supposed to while they were doing their sacerdotal duties. Okay, so since then, he gives them the bread of the presence. And now this bread, again, special bread was set apart, not ordinary bread. And it was put there to symbolize how God's presence his, with his people, as well as his provision and his care for the people was constantly happening. And he was the provider for all of their physical needs. That's what this bread was symbolic of, which we would later get into a New Testament understanding when Jesus shows up and says, I am the bread of life and he's basically telling them hey man take a take a bite of this bread because this is a whole nother level than what you've been doing and you can go into a great teaching you can also go check out jonathan's class if you're a dude because he's going to be doing some new stuff in the near future about um the the idea of the tabernacle and all of the different things in the tabernacle and how it all points to jesus it's very cool you should check it out on thursday nights for the guys group it's going to be awesome so this bread is symbolic of Jesus as the bread of life. Now, David, a.k.a. beloved identity, is partaking in a privilege only previously available to priests. Catch this. Whenever you see a first thing like this, you need to kind of open our eyes to it and go, wait a minute. This bread was only allowed to be eaten by the priests. Now, David comes in, not a priest, and he comes in and says, hey, I need some of this bread. And he, they are like, okay, we're going to go ahead and give you this bread. It's a picture of how beloved identity provides for you unprecedented access to presence. Beloved identity provides for you unprecedented access to presence. Remember, it was the bread of the presence. It was symbolic about how God's presence had remained with them and provided for them all of the different things that they needed because God was taking care of them. It was about his presence. 
Now, his presence comes in different degrees. You guys understand this a little bit. If you've been in church in any length of time, you could probably begin to understand that God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all the time, right? So if I go into the greatest trench in the ocean somewhere and I'm hiding down there, can God's presence be there? Absolutely, because he's omnipresent. But he also is present in that where we, where we lift his name up, he is there. We learn about his manifest presence. The manifest presence of God is when I like to describe it like there's a veil that separates the spiritual world from the physical world. And there's moments where it's like that veil gets peeled back a little bit and the manifest presence of God begins to come. And that's when you could really feel something like it could be physically tangibly felt has anybody ever felt the tangible presence of God when he came into a room maybe in worship maybe in the place of prayer maybe when you were crying out to God in worship or whatever you were doing and something began to happen and you felt the manifest presence of God begin to come on your life that's an amazing and beautiful thing when that happens and then a manifest presence of God when it goes to a whole nother level you get into the glory of God and the scriptures tell us that even when the glory of God began to come that the, the priests could not even stand to minister anymore because the glory of God came so heavily into the temple it was so heavy and so strong that the priests literally fell on their face before the Lord and couldn't move I can tell you stories about being in church services my dad was there as well the presence of God came so strong there was such a glory that was there the whole congregation on a Sunday morning could not move or talk we sat literally almost paralyzed in the presence of the Lord because there was such a reverential fear of God in his wonderful glory that came sweeping into the room we didn't dare want to be the one to mess it up we didn't want to interrupt what God might have been doing because it was so real and so tangible and so beautiful his glory was there in such an awesome way that's what this bread is symbolic of. Now that his presence was so strong. And now beloved identity gets to go in and have an unprecedented access to it. He gets to consume this bread that previously only the priests could consume. That changes the game for me. I love that. Here's, what I'm, here's where I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is the fact that beloved identity, when you know who you are, that you're loved by him, you get an access into his presence you can't get any other way. There's something about knowing who you are. There's something about coming to him and not just saying, oh, God, I'm the scum of the earth and I'm broken and, and I'm messed up and all of these things. And, God, if you could just, you know, just help me get through another week and we're all, like, starving and inebriated, broken little children that are constantly messed up. That's totally different than the attitude that steps into this room that says, I am a child of the Most High God. I am so beloved. I'm not perfect, but I am here to worship my king. I am beloved of God, and because I'm a son, I get to go into daddy's house and have access to the fridge that's a game changer man that is a game changer it's one of the first things we do whenever i go to any of my family's house we go straight to the fridge and we can have access to whatever we want why because we are those of you who are moms and dads and, and grandmas and grandpas you know huh your kids come and they're like hey mom what do you got and they just start at, you know i'm gonna help myself to whatever you want why because they are of blood because they're family so understanding who you are as a Christian helps you to be able to partake of a deeper degree of his presence. Oh, I hope somebody gets this tonight. I, it's like the sons and daughters knowing their father's address so they could just go and get access to the father's presence whenever they want. Beloved identity, consuming the bread of his presence, which was reserved for the priest. But David, because he was marked with beloved identity, is pulling on something that was reserved for the future. 
You know that it was always God's intention that it wasn't just the priests that were going to be able to partake of this. I believe it was God's intention that this was going to be available for everybody. That's why, hello, we just celebrated Easter. What's one of the great, really important things that happened when Jesus died on the cross? That veil ripped from top to bottom. The veil that separated man from the presence of God was torn from top to bottom. Because God was forever saying, because of the blood of Jesus making atonement for your and my sin, about how many times we've messed it up, you now have access to my presence if you want it. You can now come in and consume of the bread and of the wine. You can now come in, drink of my blood, and eat of my flesh like Jesus said. So every single time we take communion, we do that in remembrance of him. We have access in a new testament new covenant understanding of this because we live in today's day and age this was thousands of years before jesus walked the planet and david non-priest is able to go in and partake of something reserved for the future so i wonder what you and i could do in a new testament covenant if we would take advantage with a healthy hunger and say god as a son or a daughter recognizing my identity that you love me i'm the beloved of god what do i have access to what mind-blowing encounters can I begin to experience? What wonderful love, what wonderful forgiveness, what absolutely ridiculously bestowed mercy could you pour out on my life that I don't deserve because I'm recognizing for the first time that I am a son and I'm a daughter and I could come into your presence and have unprecedented access to your mercy. This could change the game for you if you'll let it. Can I get an amen in the house? Ah, well, I'm having fun. Okay. One step further, one step further. There's also a crack in the law here. Remember the law? There's this, this crack that begins to happen where, where Jesus is basically, he would come in and say, listen, it's about people. It's not just about your traditional stuff. It's not just about all the, 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 the ritualistic things that you've done in the past. And this is what's happening right here. There's a crack in the law where basically uh, David is coming in and saying, let me have some of this bread. And listen, he could have said, Ahimelech could have said, no, you can't have that. You're not a priest. Sorry. And he could have just stayed in the traditional rut. But there was a crack that was happening in that law. And he was saying, yeah, you know what? There is actually, I, I see this. I could give this to you because human need trumps the traditional thought. So I don't know where, where your background is or religious mindset that you might have come from or whatever it is. I'm, I'm not into that. The, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is, there's an unprecedented, obvious thing that Jesus would come and establish in Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, where he would come and tell us, listen, it's about people, man. It's about people. So don't get stuck in the rut of doing this the old way. Understand, it's about people. Let's keep going. <sighs> I'm having fun. Verse 7. Now Doeg, I don't know how to pronounce that guy's name. Now Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's chief herdsman, was there that day, having been detained before the Lord. This is... Everyone say, hello, snitch. This is our snitch right here. He's about to show up, and he's there eavesdropping on what's going on. Now, David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword? The king's business was so urgent that I didn't have time to grab a weapon. Verse 9, I only have the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. The priest replied, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Take that if you want it. For there is nothing else here. There is nothing like it. David replied, give it to me. Oh, shoot. David is about to be equipped with the sword of the enemy. This is huge. The giant that taunted the nation of Israel. 
whom David killed with a sling and a stone, then pulled this very sword from the sheath that Goliath had and chopped off Goliath's head. This sword is now about to be attached to beloved identity's waist. Uh-oh, you see where I'm going. Only in beloved identity does the Lord make the weapons of destruction intended by the enemy your new weapon against the enemy. Oh, I love this. You see, here, here's what the devil does, man. You see, the devil thought he had you by, by, by dishing you another drink or by dishing you another drug, or by dishing you another image on a computer or a phone, or by taking whatever it is that we fall into, our issues, our dysfunction, our problems, and the devil comes at you again, and it's the giants that you and I are constantly striving to prevail against. It's the temptation of the enemy. It's this and that. But what we learn from Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, is that what the devil meant for evil, God will turn and use it for good. He'll take the attacks of the enemy that wants to come against your life, and God will begin to empower you to turn that very sword against the devil that's how he rolls so he take the very sword that was a uh, that was there taunting the nation of israel and david takes it and says that's going to be the very thing that will get strapped upon my ways and god will execute vengeance upon the people that are coming against me the weapon of the enemy will become the very thing that backfires right in his face if you'll walk in beloved identity and refuse to allow the weapons of the enemy to knock you down Friends, I want to encourage you that when you fight back, you fight back with a confidence and an authority in who you are. You see, we war differently. That's why we did a whole lesson recently on warring differently. We don't war by throwing ah, swords and fighting and all this kind of stuff. How you and I war is by stepping in with a confidence saying, I'm the beloved of God. And in my beloved understanding, I'm going to worship my God, and I'm going to lift my hands to him, and I'm going to raise my voice, and I'm going to give sacrificially, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to worship, and I'm going to do all the things that God's calling me to do. That's how I punk the devil. That's how I refuse the next drink, and refuse the next drug, and refuse the next image, and refuse the next relationship, and pride, and all the different things that keep coming against me. I solidify myself in beloved identity and begin walking out my destiny and my calling. Amen? That's how we roll. May the sword that cut you become the weapon of your choice. I love it. I have a friend's dad who was a, a, an ex-gang member, and he had just gotten out of jail. And right when he got out of jail, he found himself walking down the wrong kind of the street, and there was another person that was there. He pulled out a gun and shot this guy straight in the face and killed him. He ended up getting away. I don't know the story. I don't know the details. But he ends up getting away, not doing any jail time. God has mercy on this guy. He gets saved, radically saved, and now has a thriving ministry going back to people who are convicts or people that are in jail or people that are struggling with gang affiliation. And he goes right back into those situations and begins to minister to the very people. It was the sword that was coming against his life literally became the sword that he was able to turn right back and put back into, against the enemy. That's such a beautiful thing. I love it, man. It's such a beautiful thing to recognize, man, what was coming against my life. I refuse to let that be a sword that's just pointed at me. I'm going to go in mercy before Almighty God and turn that sword right back against the enemy and refuse to allow it to get under my skin. Amen? I don't know what your testimony is, but, man, people need to hear it. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if you dragged yourself here tonight, like, ah, oh, I don't want to be in this place. Or maybe God came here and you had a strut in your step. But, listen, you have a story that people need to hear. And when you'll tell your story about what God is doing, it won't be 90% about what the devil did and 10% what God did. Flip it. Give the 10% of what the devil did and 90% of what God's done since then. 
because people need to hear the story about what Jesus Christ has done in your life and how he's changing you. You will flip the weapon. I have a whole bunch of stories that I could begin to tell you. There's incredible stories of, of women who were selling their bodies until they got saved, and then they started a ministry going right back ministering to broken women that were in that same line of work. Talk to many people in ministry. I'll be happy to tell you my story at some point, man. You just come talk to them. They're not usually in ministry because they're like, you know what's going to make me a lot of money? The ministry. <laughs> that was not their thought, I promise you. Their thought was more like, God's done something in me, and what he's done in me, I want him to do in them. And so I got into the ministry because I recognize there's a calling on my life to help set the, at the, the people who are in bondage at liberty. There's something upon my life that if I could tell my story and if I could help hand out keys, I don't want to just be a person that walks around without shackles. I want to be a person that walks with a key that I can help set the captive free all around me. Don't you? Amen? We got to step out beyond that mindset that's like, if I could just get these shackles off. No, bro, get a key. Get a key and help set somebody else free that's broken, and your testimony might be the best way to do that. In fact, at some point, text the word story to that number that we always do. This is a little something I put together because I want to capture people's stories. They'll throw a slide up on the screen. Oh, man, I don't know if I can do it real quick. Arrow, I'm going to hijack it. I'm going to hijack it. Put that, put that slide up real quick. Text story to that number. At some point, take a picture of it and do it later or something so you can stay engaged. We're almost done. But I want to capture the stories of people. I want to know what's going on in your world. I want to know what God's been doing. And I don't have enough time to sit down and have coffee dates with every single person in the room. And I love coffee. But it just can't happen. So I'm like, God, i got to capture people's stories. So at some point, just text that. You'll get a response. There's a link. Click on it. And then you could write out what God has been doing in your life. Because I want to know, and other people need to know what's going on. And I want to help flip the script on the enemy. I want to take the giant swords that have been attacking your life and help equip them to your belt. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm glad you guys are still with me. So may the sword that cut you become your weapon of choice. Tim, would you guys mind coming back up here, worship team? I'd really appreciate it. Strapping the giant sword on their hips so that we can be able to set people free that struggle with the same thing we struggle with. This is what beloved identity truly does for you. Like, I know when we started this, you, you, some of us are kind of like, oh, this, this series, you know, sounds a little like foo-foo and fluffy and yay, I'm the beloved of the Lord. Like, it just sounds that way. I get that. And I also feel like that's been an attack of the enemy is to try to come in and say, yes, God loves you, it's fine, but to diminish it. Like, that's why it almost feels diminished when you tell somebody, like, do you know how much God loves you? Like, when you just say God loves you or Jesus loves you, it's almost like overplayed to the point where it's like it has no power. Even though that could be some of the most powerful words that you will ever hear is about his love. When you really capture, you're the beloved of God. You know how much he loves you? You know what that love looks like? What he could do for your world? Do you know how spiritually violent it is, it is for you to recognize your identity and punk the devil by you understanding who you are in his love? That you literally dispel the darkness when you lift your hands before the Lord and you begin to pray and worship? When you stand firm in who you are and you exalt the name that's above every other name, how it literally sends ambushes against the enemy? Like Jehoshaphat's army? who sent the worshipers out in front of the army, and God sent ambushes against the enemy. 
dude, when we do this God's way, when we recognize who we are in beloved identity, it equips the sword of the enemy upon your hip. And you're able to turn what the devil's trying to execute against you and shoves it right back in his face. So maybe you came out of homosexuality. Praise God. You begin to minister unto the Lord and go after God, and maybe he'll turn that sword back against the enemy. Not against people, but against the enemy. Maybe you struggle with pride. Fantastic. God can save that. God can fix that. That could be the enemy's sword pointed right at you. Let's get that equipped to your hip where you become the humblest person around. Maybe you struggle with sexual immorality. You just can't seem to get free from that strong man upon your life. It's a piece of cake for him. If you'll submit yourself entirely to him and recognize you're a son or a daughter, you come into his presence. God will strap that giant sword upon your hip. And you'll be able to help pray for other people, set them free, see miracles and healing begin to come. I take it every single time it comes. I don't know why it doesn't come 100% of the time. My little boy's at home sick with a fever and all kinds of stuff, but praying for him, seeing miracles. Sometimes it happens when we pray, sometimes we don't, but I'm going to continue to pray. Literally accidentally touched a lady's shoulder on Sunday morning grabbed a pen, wrote a little something down, walked away. She went like this, waved me over, and I was like, yes, man, what's going on? She said, the moment you touched me, my sore neck that had been sore for all this time just went away. I felt this healing just come into my body. I was like, wow, are you serious? That's amazing. I said, praise God. I gave her a high five. Her daughter came up to me later and said, she's literally healed. Like, her neck's better. She's blown away. I was like, that's awesome. So whether or not I pray for my son, I don't see a miracle happen. Does that mean I'm because I saw a miracle on Sunday that I'm not going to stop praying for him tonight or pray for anybody else? No. I know I'm a son and I'm a daughter. My job is to go to God and say, God, I truly believe that you're the healer, regardless of the results that I see. My job is to pray in faith. My job is to stand firm in what I believe. My job is to say unwavered in that. Don't you agree? I want to pray for you guys, and I'm going to let you go. Check me out, getting you out on time. I'm amazing. I hope that we're, we're going to be transitioning soon out of this beloved identity thought, but it's so fundamentally crucial that we have to hit it hard. However big our foundation is, it'll determine how high we'll go. If we have a small, weak foundation, we won't be able to go very high. And I felt like this was one of the first things the Lord told me to do when we came into 2019 was we need to build a solid, big, firm foundation. This beloved identity thing is just so crucial to it. It's who you are in Christ. It's what makes you you as a Christian. It's what makes you you. Father, I'm asking this evening for your wonderful mercy to begin to come upon us. I'm asking that all the giants that we've had to face, that you would literally equip our belt line with their weaponry. That you would turn what the devil meant for evil and use it for good. That all things work together for those who love God and who are the called according to his purposes. But we have to be ones who love you and recognize we are called if all things are ever gonna work together for good. Help us this evening, God. I just see so many people that get their tail kicked all week long by the same old giant. 
And God, I'm believing that this, this marked by love, this, this idea, this identity thing that we're learning about how we're so marked by your love, I'm praying it'll be a key that will help give them a radical victory over the enemy. And that what the devil has pointed at them, it would flip and it would become our greatest weapon. Help us this evening, Jesus. Oh, we need your presence, God. I want to open up these altars as we do every Wednesday, and I have my core leadership team up here ready to pray for anybody. And I just want to encourage you, if your heart's not right with King Jesus tonight, now's your night. We want to pray with you, man. I want to pray with you. I just want to just... There's nothing magical about the prayer. What's, what's, what's happening is the posture of your heart. When you come to God with truth and integrity and honesty, nothing can steal that from you. You have this moment. You have this beautiful moment where you can come before God and say, God, I recognized tonight that I'm your beloved. I want to really know what that means. And I want all of these giants that I feel like I've been battling 24-7 to now become my equipment to fight the enemy. Their weaponry becomes my very own. If your heart's not right with Jesus tonight, you need to get your heart right. I want to know who I'm praying for. I'm going to look across this room. I'm going to give you just a split second to think about it. If your heart's not right with Jesus, I want to know who I'm praying with. I'm going to ask you to put your hand up on the count of three. And I'm going to look across this room. I just want to pray with you. Oh, God, just get their hearts right now in Jesus' name. One, I know that you're here for a purpose. God's doing something in your life. Two, I truly believe that the devil wants to rob you of this moment. Don't allow him to do that in any way. Three, right now, in Jesus' name, put your hands up. Anybody that's across this room that needs to get their heart to Jesus. Get your heart right. Get your heart right. Get your heart right. So good. So good. Anybody else? Fantastic. Why don't we all pray this together out loud, okay? Say, King Jesus, I know I need you. Do something marvelous inside my heart. I want to recognize that I'm your beloved in my mind and in my physical body. I want to feel it. Come and change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give a round of applause to anybody that prayed that prayer this evening? Oh, so good. I'm going to head and open up these altars allow my core leadership team up here. If you need to go, you are free to go. I love you guys like crazy. God bless you. We would just be happy to pray with you. I just want to encourage you, don't let the devil just kick your tail all week long. Go get your weaponry and fight back. In Jesus' name, amen.